Hello, you're listening to Arts Talk Radio, and I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you regular news, reviews and interviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, concentrating on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and the surrounding areas. Arts Talk Radio Online. Features on the arts in English. Quite a long show this week with lots of music and reports from two rather special events in The Hague. Later, I'm in Scheveningen for an evening of Irish and Breton folk music. But first, our reporter Zoe Baus was at the wide-ranging Crossing Border Festival. She started by talking to a singer whose vocal style is sometimes hard to pigeonhole. I'm sitting opposite Michael Mayo, who has come all the way from the United States. I've just heard him performing. He's a jazz artist. Michael, thank you for joining us on Arts Talk. Thanks for having me. Now, I've just heard three pieces uh, from you, and they were very lovely and also very different. Mm. Uh, could you just tell us a little bit about your musical style? I know you are a jazz, you know, you're categorized as a jazz sure, artist. under the umbrella. <laughs> but when, when you listen to your music, mm -hmm. you don't maybe immediately think jazz. Sure. It's, I find it quite hard to categorize, but it's lovely to listen to. Mm. Could you just tell us a bit more about it or describe it for our audience? Sure, yeah. I like to describe uh, my music as jazz adjacent because it wouldn't sound like it sounds if I had never studied jazz, but it also sounds like more than if I had only studied jazz. So I... Uh, I, you know, I grew up listening to R&B and gospel and soul music, and both of my parents are musicians, so I always had music in the household. I didn't uh, start studying jazz until high school, and then that was sort of like, psh, it sort of took off at that point. I was like, oh, this is the new love of my life, and then I sort of started re-exploring my own sounds uh, in grad school. Now, yes, your own sounds are quite unique. Mm, thank you. Um, yeah, your voice is great, but then you also mix in some quite electronic sounds mm. sometimes. Yeah. And do you do that when you're playing with a with a band as well? Or is that more I of a do, solo thing? Yeah. I do. Yeah. I so I try to I try to incorporate um, a lot of like sonic explorations in the stuff that I do. Um, and the one machine that I have has a lot of cool capabilities. Um, and so you know, when you're playing solo. Uh, because you're only limited to one person, uh, you tend to actually do more of that because you ha you don't have other people to rely on to supply any sort of like sonic information. Um, so when I'm playing with a band, it's maybe a bit more like less effecty, more like acoustic, but it's still in that sort of effects realm. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's still a relatively new art form, but it has been around for a while. Where, 
Where do you see jazz going? How do you see it developing? That's a huge question. <laughs> uh, one that I've that my good friends have, and I have had like several deep conversations, hours long conversations about. Um, honestly, I think that our society, if we last long enough, is moving more and more towards needing labels less and less. Mm. Um, because labels are a way to categorize things that already exist. Um, and if we allow things to exist without having an agenda or without needing them to fulfill our expectations, then it actually gives them more freedom to just be what they're going to be. So I think jazz is a very useful term and has proven useful over the years to you know, categorize certain types of music. But I think the real spirit of jazz is an openness to newness and discovery and curiosity. Um, and so as long as that's in someone's heart, I think you technically can call it jazz. Some people might disagree with that. If you had asked me four years ago, I might have disagreed with that. <laughs> well, I mean, I know improvisation has always been a huge part. Yep. So that And that does obviously cover... Well, if you're improvising, who knows? Who knows where that could take you? Right, right. I mean, and the thing is, it's like jazz is not the only tradition of improvised music in the world. Um, but the unique thing about jazz historically is that it's incorporated so many other types of improvisational music from around the world. Um, and, yeah, it, it just encourages this, this spirit of making things your own and, and exploring. Where are you going, then, um, with your career? What's, what's on the horizon for you? So uh, I just finished like uh, like a week or two ago I finished my uh, album my first album still untitled it will have a name I was just gonna ask yeah <laughs> um, it's it's gonna have a name that I know <laughs> what the name is I do not yet know it will become okay. clear in time um, but the music is all done and uh, I'm so so excited about it. it it was a really wonderful process and you know my best friends are playing on it and it's just a great mm. great time so when when can we look forward to the release of that then we're looking at um, late spring of 2020 um, you know there's a lot of factors to consider but like that's our that's our goal zone okay so people can look look out for it around then yeah, exactly uh, and are you touring I know obviously you're now in the Netherlands but have you got some tours other tours coming up there's a chance that I might uh, be doing a world tour with someone but it hasn't been announced yet so I can't actually say who it is um, but if that happens, then I'm going to be all over the place next year. Um, yeah, and just sort of just go where the wind takes me. <laughs> Michael Mayo, thank you so much for joining us on Arts Talk Radio today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Hindsight is 2020. Mindsight is worth more than Hindsight is 2020, oh. Mindsight is worth more than gold. More than gold. More than gold. More than
Talk Radio Online. Interviews and features on the arts in English. Tonight at the Crossing Borders Festival, I had the pleasure of listening to a live podcast by Andrew Leland. Uh, he is a fairly famed producer of and creator of the Organist podcast. And he speaks to us on Arts Talk Radio today. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Could you? Perhaps tell us what first inspired you to get involved in in the podcast art form, if we can call it that. Yes, I and think what you can. defines it? Yeah. Um, so I was a magazine editor. I worked at the Believer magazine, which is an arts and culture magazine published by McSweeney's in San Francisco, uh, which is run by Dave Eggers. And the Believer um, was a arts and culture monthly uh, that, that had essays about literature, but also contemporary art and philosophy and pop music and very omnivorous, kind of culturally omnivorous magazine. And I did that for a number of years. And KCRW is a Southern California, that was the McSweeney's was based in Northern California. And, and KCRW is a radio station in Southern California. And they had for a long time wanted to collaborate with McSweeney's in some way. And for years, there were sort of stop and start conversations where we thought about it. And at that time, um, in the 2000s, the goal was always to have a McSweeney's radio hour, to have it be on the radio. And then finally, years and years later, we decided, okay, well, we can do this, but we'll start it as a podcast. And at the, that was about seven years ago now. And at the time, podcasts were not in the ascendant. They were, nobody had heard of them. They had very small listeners, but we thought we could do this. And then if it's a success, then they'll let us go on the real radio. And then over the past seven years, that has really fallen away. And now being a podcast is a new art form. And we're happy to be in that form. And it's been fun to experiment with it for the last seven years. Absolutely. And would you say it's almost preferable now to be podcasting rather, rather than on the radio? Certainly in some respects, it's preferable. Um, but I would say no. I would think of it more like, is it preferable to make a video or to stage a theatrical production. You know, they both have advantages and disadvantages. They both have constraints. I still think there's something really beautiful about live radio. Um, I know my co-producer here, Laura, agrees with me about live radio and its possibilities, don't you? Absolutely. <laughs> silent, <laughs> silent, yes. Sorry, Pam. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come to, to Laura in a minute. Uh, so perhaps then, yeah, so w what is this new new art form then? What do you think defines it? Well, people listen in a different way. I mean, that's the, that's the first piece, is that the radio you turn on and you might come in in the middle of something, you know, maybe you know that something you want to hear is, is starting at a certain time and you might tune in at that point. Um, whereas podcasting only ever happens that way. It's, it's on demand. And so your listenership is different. You know, and if you listen to even just like the basic formal pieces of radio, you have to back announce in case somebody just tuned in, you have to say, you've been listening to the organist. Whereas the organist, everybody who's listening to the organist, 
I know that they press some buttons on their phone or their computer to get it. And so just in terms of how you speak to the listener, it's a different experience. Um, and also, I think, who is finding it? You know, do you have much more passionate listenership because they are finding you rather than you're finding them? And that's a loss, too, I think. I mean, it's a gain, certainly, but I love the, the accidental randomness of radio. Now, uh, Laura, you are, I can only describe you as a sound person. <laughs> <laughs> so just tell us, uh, as, a, as a producer and editor of, of this podcast, what makes it special for you, the podcast experience, from, from your perspective? I think what's special about The Organist in particular as a podcast is that it really takes advantage of this, this medium as a new art form. So it isn't like a radio show specifically, um, but it also isn't like many other podcasts, much as our performance was based on tonight, that maybe have a, a very defined kind of narrative form or people sat around chatting. So it kind of mixes between what we might refer to as radio features and this new way of presenting things and putting them together differently. Uh, and I think that's what's exciting about the potential of podcasting generally and particularly about the work that we try to do. Yeah, so the, there's a really rich history in radio of experimentation and particularly in the early years of radio and um, I think with podcasts, because you don't need the structure of a station or any particular equipment and, and you can just do it yourself, there, there is an amazing amount of potential for, for a similar type of experimentation with this medium. And, and really taking it into some exciting places. Absolutely, and to be honest, I know a number of people who are not professionals, but they're talking or thinking about a podcast or of some sort, and I'll come back and ask you um, a little bit more about that, Andrew, later. But perhaps just to return to the organist, could you tell us where you came up with that, with that name? Because it intrigues me. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I think the initial idea for the name came from the sense that we were coming out of a print background and I liked I always liked the word organ to refer to print media um, you know like the believer is an organ of McSweeney's uh, in the sense that it it's like an appendage but it's also a thing that expresses it um, you know you hear that a lot like the the organ of this society as this publication um so that was my original sense because i thought of i originally conceived of the organist as an organ of the believer magazine um but then it also uh from the beginning had this strong focus on on sound um you know we were going to cover music but also obviously even when we were covering literature <laughs> we're covering literature in the sonic medium in sound and so there's obviously the organist has a musical connotation to it. And there's a third sense of the name, which is uh, a sort of bodily sense, which I found funny, but also in a more serious sense, the organs of perception, the eyes, the ears. You know, so if you think about culture, culture, I think, often gets discussed in this very removed sense of like there is British culture, American culture. But I think one of the things that we do with the podcast is think about culture uh, and the ways that it's getting to you, really thinking about sound, if we're talking about music or even talking about literature, or really thinking about it as an embodied experience. And some of my writing about blindness um, and culture gets at that mm -hmm. as well. So on a very individual level, really. Yeah. Okay. So perhaps then, Andrew, we could finish with um, the, this notion that the podcast is gaining, is on the ascent. Um, 
any advice for somebody who is thinking, oh, I would like to try my hand at a podcast? What, what would be your top three tips? Top three tips. Number one, even if your podcast is 100% chat, which is to say your idea for a podcast is you and your best friend are going to discuss all of every episode of The Sopranos in order, I think you still need to think of the podcast as a written medium, which is to say, even if, if, even if you're not reading from a script, think and make an outline and structure it. Because I think structure is crucial for any piece of writing. I think that gets overlooked with podcasts. And a lot of times people will just sort of chat or gab or say, well, we'll, we'll cover this first and then maybe later. But I really think the more thoughtful you can be about structure, and, and by structure I really just mean writing, uh, the better the product will be. Tip one. Tip two, sound quality matters. There are podcasts that I've heard recommended numerous times, and I'll hit play, and I don't get past the first 15 seconds because it just sounds like it's recorded in a bathtub. And I don't want to be an audio snob, but it's not, in this, in this era of cheap digital technology, it's not difficult to make a podcast that sounds well. So proper mic placement is uh, one thing. Like, you really have to get the mic close to the person's mouth to have them sound. You know, I think not not everybody has a sense of how to use a microphone, and it really, you should think of it like the camera's lens. So if the microphone is really, really close to my mouth, suddenly I'm very, very close to you. If I'm really far away, think of it like a camera wide shot. I'm now, you know, you're seeing me from across a train station. And that matters as a listener, the same way that it matters as a filmmaker. Like, is this an intimate moment or is it far away? And but so if you're just sort of like hit and record and not thinking about that, you're losing out on lots of opportunities to create an effect that, and that's what you're doing is you're creating effects for the listener. Tip three, have fun. Sorry, I don't know. I ran out of steam there. But I would say that's a legit tip. Laura, do you want to come in with the assist for tip three? Or is have fun an okay third tip? I, I think that's pretty good. Have fun! Have no, fun. But, but honestly, all right, here's, here's, here, I'll make have fun a little less silly, which is that we were talking about this earlier. Like when you're interviewing someone and you are nervous about it and you are, that nervousness is communicated to the person you're interviewing then that person who you're interviewing, even if they're not nervous, your nervousness will kind of infect them. If you're interviewing somebody and you're having fun and you're making jokes, it kind of creates, it lets them feel like they can make jokes. If you want an emotional response, you need to be present as an emotional human being, not in a manipulative way, but in a way that's just like, in the same way that if you and I were just at a cafe, like if you're being officious and bureaucratic, I'm going to be like, oh, this is like a bureaucratic conversation. But if you're opening up to me, I'm going to open up to you. And that's very, very true in interviewing. Absolutely. Andrew Leland of The Organist Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on Arts Talk tonight. Um, Laura Irving, also um, editor and creator of The Organist. Thank you so much also for joining us on Arts Talk Radio tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Arts Talk Radio Online. That was Zoe Bouse reporting from the Crossing Border Festival in The Hague. I was in Shaveningen at the amazing Lourdeskirk. Yeah, I know the French pronunciation is Lourde, but here they pronounce it Lourdes, so that's what I will do. I was there for the first Casa Lourdes session, an evening of excellent Irish and Breton folk music, plus some very tasty Italian food. 
I met up with the event organiser, Alessandro Bruti, and I started by asking how he became interested in the Celtic tradition and music. As an Italian Dutchman, born and raised in Holland with, with, with an Italian father from central Italy, I fell in love with um, Scotland first, the nature whiskey, very important, and also the music, traditional music. And then I discovered the beauty of uh, Ireland, the west of Ireland particularly, the music, um, so traditional music was something that I, uh, I I missed when I came back every time from Scotland or Ireland. And I started to invite friends that I made in Ireland and Scotland, bagpipes, fiddles, whistles, and uh, for my birthday. And that started to be uh, something bigger than uh, uh, my own little birthday. So at the end, I made a foundation out of it called Dram Tune, Drams and Tunes. And it is a variety of music that passes by uh, over the years. So it's not only traditional music, gypsy, uh, jazz, classical, everything. But uh, mostly the combination whiskey, Italian food and music is very strong. And which comes top of that list? For <laughs> in the morning it's music. At night I start to believe it's whiskey. Now, uh, music is always first. It, it's connecting musicians like we do tonight. We have two wonderful musicians from Brittany, and two wonderful Irish musicians, and they know each other. Maybe they never played together, and I think it is maybe the first time in Holland that on one night, on one stage, four legendary musicians from both parts of the world play together. So, uh, And what was it attracted you in the first place to, to Celtic music? Because there's no, there's no real connection between Celtic music and, and either Holland or Italy, no, really. No, well, Italy is, of course, a, a rural country. Uh, we come my, from my father's side from a farmer family, and, and I've always heard about the stories of traditional music being, because traditional music brought together all the people in the past by dancing. That was the only way to, to, to come close to a girl or a boy. So traditional music is very fundamental for, for existence, really. And it is also the, 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 the foundation of classical music. The church had the money, so folk, traditional musicians went to write and play. So that's it's very, very important. And I think what I felt in Ireland and Scotland is what I remember from the Italian stories, uh, but that, that vanished a little bit. And in Ireland and Scotland, it's very much alive, like in Brittany. So that's beautiful. But but the, the, the origins of Celtic music were, I think, sort of almost Mediterranean because it sort of looped around to the west of, of the British Isles yeah. and stopped off in, in, well, in Ireland and then went to Scotland, bypassing England yeah. altogether. Let's say Italy was a, a, a land of shepherds and every region in Italy would have bagpipes. They had 170 different types in medieval times. So the bagpipe uh, passed through Italy long before it came to uh, Ireland. I mean, even Emperor Nero played, and in e it, it, the, the, the pipes are very old. But the music, there is no really Celtic music. Celtic, everything that is Celtic um, nowadays can be found in the singing, not in the tunes. The tunes is a mixture of contamination, France, Italy, go back centuries, 
but Celtic music as we uh, as we name it doesn't really exist. I would say traditional music, and that is very much um, it contaminated each other many many centuries ago. That's the beauty of of the whole connection between. But them. if you say Celtic music, I mean everybody knows it's going to be. Um, 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 bagpipes, um, maybe banjo, bodhran. Uh, no. It's it's always the same sort of music. You can you can identify it, whether you, yeah, you well, always know uh, what it is. Like uh, 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 Breton music, like to, that is played tonight, is regarded Celtic music. The north of Spain, uh, which you have in Galicia, is regarded Celtic music. In that sense, it's uh, the definition is is is, is there geographically, but. Um, Celtic would not be the right name, I think. But anyway, t- traditional music in Italy. I've seen it. I've brought. I brought Italian bands to Ireland, and people were dancing Irish dance on very old Italian tunes. There was a lot of traveling even in those days, and it's beautiful. Like tonight, that you see that music is all connected. That's what you see tonight. I mean, uh, Jean-Michel Veillon. Uh, is he? You will hear. He, he almost sounds like an Irishman. Uh, that's the, the many times that he spent. Uh, he's a very good friend of Matt Malloy and of all the great Irish. He's a, so in that sense, uh, Brittany is is very close to to Scottish and Irish music. There is a strong connection uh, between all Atlantic mm. uh, countries, maybe, but especially in the north and Brittany and Normandy and uh, even. Of, I think it's it's beautiful too. They love each other. It's it's the culture is very close historically also. Okay, well I think the, they're going to start playing in a minute, so I better let you get back to your yes. We're going to announce the, the 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 gentleman and just enjoy wonderful timeless music. We're just going to start any minute. Are you going to put on your black tie and no, 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 just like this. Not only for the Irish. Um, the duo that will start, but also for the whole organization that made this possible. So, thank you very much. From the west of Ireland, County Mayo, Joseph McLaughlin, Fiddle Gordon.
Can you tell me a little bit about the, the general setup of Casa and, and Club Lourdes? Yeah. Well, uh, the, the Lourdes Church is um, an old Catholic uh, church here in Scheveningen, just next to the Circus Theater. And I was asked to um, make a contribution in terms of organizing and, and putting the musicians together and, and, and preparing the food for tonight for this first ever Casa Lourdes session, inspired maybe of on, on what I do in Casa Bruti, that's my own little place, not far away from here, just around the corner of the Kurhaus Hotel, and uh, practically it's music, Italian food, and uh, I'm, I'm known for whiskey, but I mean in, in general, of course, music is the main thing. And is this a regular event? Is it a weekly, monthly, what? No, it, I think um, uh, Lourdes aan Zee, Lourdes at Sea, is something that takes place one month in spring and one month in autumn. And they would like, uh, as I understood, to uh, maybe follow this up uh, twice a year uh, and have a Casa Lourdes session. So it would be uh, twice a year that this will be held. And it's it is it only music or do you do literary events as well? Well, ca- the um, uh, Lourdes en Zee, what what takes place in the whole month is a variety of things from theatre to literature, um, loads of things. But uh, what I uh, what I do tonight, together with Musée and the Zuiderstrand Theater and Club Lourdes en Zee, uh, is music and food but music is the main thing but it's but it's always music and food yes well that's what i do normally with my little dram tune foundation for more than 10 years and casa brut is something uh, that's there for the last four years so it's inspired to what i do there but uh, music is the main thing food is always there and where does the casa Bruti take place Casa Bruti is, uh, as I said, very close by in the Haarlemse Straat, very close behind the cinema here in Scheveningen, uh, a corner house, uh, and that's more a living room, very small scale, very intimate, uh, but it, it, it's very intimate tonight as well, even if, you know, it's a, it's a church, but I think the atmosphere is more or less the same.
That was Jean-Michel Veillon and Yvon Rieu from Brittany playing at the Casa Lourdes session in Shaveningen. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk Radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk magazine, all one word, dot nl. Arts Talk magazine, dot nl. Well, that's it for this week. My name is Michael Hasted, and we'll be back next week. So until then, it's goodbye. Yeah.